The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. April 14th, and all is abnormal yet well. I thought I'd take you through a typical Monday for me now, which is a little bit different than it used to be. 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock a.m., meeting with all firm on Teams. This involves us all checking in, saying how we're doing. This includes sharing recipes, talking about children, perhaps a walk in the park, some feelings of anxiety and social isolation. We're doing it on Teams, which is like Zoom in that you can see everybody by video, but it's internal to us, so nobody can Zoom bomb us. That part of our meeting takes about 25 minutes. Everybody is in their home. Some people have figured out how to do fake back screens. Other people were allowed to see inside their actual homes. Andrew, of course, has a baby strapped to his body and a young child also coming in and out of the room. Jessica's dog, I know by now, the sound of her sweet little bark. Paul is in Hawaii. Keith is in West Seattle. Ray is in Hoquiam. Brad is in Mercer Island. And I'm at my cabin, which is by Leavenworth in Washington. Rest of the meeting talks about our scheduling of return to work. Unlike the federal government or even the state government, we already have a plan. We developed it a week ago. We ran it through our partner meetings, me and Brad did. We ran it through our partners. We ran it through our lawyers. We ran it through our entire staff for input and all agreed that this was not set in stone. It would be changed up or down as circumstances arose, but that we all felt that we should have a plan in place for return to work, as in in the physical office. It's gonna be staggered and modified, but everybody is pleased with it, and it's nice to just see something in writing even though we know it might be changed. Next meeting is at 10.15, case meeting. Next meeting, is at 11, another case meeting. Next meeting is at 11.30, a business meeting for office management. Next meeting, and the meetings go on and on and on like that, one after the other, all by Zoom or Teams, depending upon who's organizing them, until we're at about 2.30 in the afternoon. I'm on a discovery conference call internal with a co-counsel, and Jessica. We are going through some issues involving technology and helping the other attorney figure out how to get their files to us through the internet. In the middle of this meeting, which is going to end up going for 30 minutes, I hear gagging. Now, I should back up and say that for the past 30 minutes, I've noticed that Nala is not looking so hot. I know these signs because Nala eats everything, anything, including dirt 
and bugs and things that I don't want to know about what she's eating. I've already told you, if you read my blogs, her biggest, grossest thing that she eats is poop. Yeah, poop. Anyway, I don't think she's eating poop because that normally doesn't bother her. It's normally if she eats something else that's going to be bad. She's got that look around her face, but she doesn't seem too panicked. She's not panting overly. She's not really making huge signs of distress, but she is pacing a bit. So I've been monitoring that, but also being a little distracted by all these phone calls, one after the other, after I've done no actual work, I'm just on phone calls. (sighs) Suddenly I hear this noise. Again, we're about at 2.15-ish in the afternoon, and it goes like this. And I know what that noise is. That's Nala puking by my front door. So Nala is turning 12 this year. She is such a smart and such a good dog. She knows that she's not supposed to do bodily functions in the side of the house. So she's gone as close to the front door as she can without getting out of it. Since we're at the cabin, the entryway is concrete. I mean, could she be any more perfect than barfing on the concrete? So I say to my co-counsel and the other people on the phone, I'm sorry, Nala's barfing. Continue without me. I'll be right back. I then go to look at the damage, and it's a big pile. It's so big that I need a towel, a whole towel to get it up, and that doesn't even quite get it. It takes me about five minutes of gooping it up, and then I go get the, thankfully I have a bottle of Clark's, um, disinfectant, which I bought before the coronavirus pandemic, um, way before, like a year ago. I Clorox that area out. I clean it up. I wash my hands super good. put everything in the bag outside to be hauled away later, return and realize as I'm putting my headset on that in my haste to go clean up after Nala, maybe my foot or something had tripped up one of the zillion gazillions of cords that were located on this. I have this big 12 foot long table that I'm sitting at one end of uh, with my laptop and my extra screen and the headset cords and my iPhone. Anyway, I've tipped over a bottle of the seltzer water that I always drink that I make. And it's, it's, half empty. I don't know how much there was in it before, but I don't think it was half empty. I, I lift the bottle up and realize that it was on my computer. I then lift my computer up and water begins to drip out of it. So what ends up happening is that the laptop still works except for the keyboard doesn't. I can touch it and do the touch screen stuff, but the keyboard doesn't work. So I put it back down, finish up the call, do a couple other calls because they were more scheduled. And later that afternoon, manage to get a hold of Ryan and tell him what happens. And he tells me to leave my computer on and hopefully it'll dry out, which it doesn't. So I've come home a day early to walk to work in silence and solitude at my house with another keyboard connected to my laptop and again have been involved in more meetings so this is kind of 
what's happened to the daily life of a lawyer that's used to running around here or there and meeting, meeting, meetings. Now it seems like all I do is talk on the phone, argue on the phone, um, try to get along on the phone. And honestly, most of the comments or phone calls yesterday were all the friendly type. We're agreeing to push trial dates forward with opposing counsel. We're all working together. Tomorrow's a different day. I expect to fight for at least two hours tomorrow on the phone. Well, as much as I'd like to keep this in perspective, I want to enter and enter into this equation what's really going on beyond me just being inconvenienced or having stories of Nala barfing and knocking water into my my weird system of doing work mobile and then not having a keyboard. And that is that my Aunt Helen died. And so I want to tell you a little better about her. So my mom will have been dead for four years this month. And she died too young at age, I always forget exactly how old, but I think 82 never knew how old my mom was because she never seemed an age. She just was this amazing entity. And her oldest sister was Aunt Helen. And there were 11 siblings in my mom's family. She was, um, my mom was number seven, I believe. And Aunt Helen was number one. And Aunt Helen was, uh, I think, 96 or 97 years old. And you might think, oh, she had lived a good life and a long life, so it's okay that she had to die of the coronavirus, COVID-19. But it's not okay. And when I hear people talk about, you know, it's mainly the elderly at risk or people with pre-existing conditions and the rest of us don't have to worry, I think you don't have to worry until it touches you or you know someone who it touches. And then you realize that, Human life is precious, and that people aren't categories. So Aunt Helen um, was the oldest of 11 children of Chinese immigrants who really never learned how to speak English. So she was the first. And they grew up in Chicago, as I might have told you. And I really never spent a ton of time with Aunt Helen I um, met her many times and was able to spend some nice time with her later on in life, and I'll talk about that later. But growing up as a child, what I knew about Aunt Helen, I learned from my mom. And the way that my mom talked about Aunt Helen was almost reverently. In some ways, I think Aunt Helen was a mother figure to my mother. Um, my mother, their, their mother died young um, after the 11th child was born when my mother was 15 years old. But Aunt Helen was a great beauty. And if you were to see a picture of Aunt Helen, the way that I would describe her was uh, like a Chinese Sophia Loren. She was just a great beauty. And ahead of her time in her fierce independence, um, she never married the husband of her son, I mean, the father of her son was not her husband. Um, And she moved 
as a young adult to New York City, where she lived for the rest of her life uh, independently, up until the very end when she could no longer see very well or hear very well and had to go into a rehab home, and the rest is history. So I'll tell you about the last time I saw Anne Helen and then why her death is such a universal experience of what's going on right now. So my daughter, Alicia, and I were in New York. We were I was speaking at AAJ, which is American Association for Justice, has a yearly seminar in December in New York called something like Seminar with the Stars or something like that. I think someone couldn't go, so they asked me at the last moment. <laughs> Maybe not, but whatever. I was invited to go speak there, and I did speak there. It was very fun. But the most fun was being able to hang out in December in New York with Alicia and to connect with Aunt Helen. And I would always see Aunt Helen whenever I go to New York. Uh, one time I was there with Debbie, my sister Debbie, and Aunt Helen, who was in her 70s, was taking us around. And she walked so fast and so briskly with her arms just striding. I can remember meeting her in Chinatown and her just taking us everywhere. We ran after her all day. She is just such a vibrant, and still beautiful presence. Well, when Alicia and I saw her, um, she was a little slower, but still walked everywhere. She was in her 80s, um, late 80s, and we went to go watch The Lion King with her um, on Broadway, and it was such a wonderful time spending with her. We would always eat dim sum and then go do something fun. Just loved remembering her. Well, when she became sick, she first got pneumonia before she got, or at least was diagnosed with coronavirus. She ended up being in that hospital for darn near two months. So this is a vibrant person who had lived a beautiful life. That's true. She had an only child, um, my cousin, and she and another cousin of mine, Val, who also lives in New York, was very close to her and and, uh, very close, almost like a daughter to her, uh, and often took care of her with um, her own son, David. So she had very close people in her life, and this is how she got to spend the last two, almost three months of her days on this earth. She spent them completely alone except for the strangers of healthcare system completely alone dying no family member none of her sisters or brothers her son her dear um, niece who almost like a daughter nobody was allowed to visit her no one could call her because she couldn't hear can you imagine that There's so many people dying in New York that there are not going to be funerals. There can't be. So when I think about Nala barfing on my my floor and me wrecking my computer and having the inconvenience of having to be alone 
in a house with just, you know, Michael, uh, but being able to FaceTime my kids and at least see people walking around. I think of all the Aunt Helens and all the families affected. And despite my best efforts to just not do a podcast about coronavirus, I fail yet again. It's a beautiful day today. We're all smiling for tomorrow. Over and out.